Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this virtual event at the Heritage Foundation on Law and Order with Commissioner Mark Morgan of Customs and Border Protection. I'm Mike Howell, the Senior Advisor for Executive Branch Relations at Heritage, and I'll be moderating today's event. Before we get started, I have a few housekeeping notes. All attendees are in listen-only mode. Guests may submit questions for the Q&A session via the GoToWebinar dashboard on their computer. Finally, this session will be recorded and accessible within 24 or 48 hours. We're thrilled to have the Heritage Foundation's Executive Vice President, Dr. Kim Holmes, with us today to introduce our distinguished guest. As Executive Vice President, Dr. Holmes oversees all operations at Heritage and advises Heritage President Kay James on strategic and managerial matters. Previously, Dr. Holmes oversaw the Heritage Foundation's Defense and Foreign Policy Institute for more than two decades. He also served as an Assistant Secretary of State for International Organization Affairs from 2002 to 2005. As a historian of U.S. political movements and ideology, Dr. Holmes writes about America's place in the world and the changing political landscape. He's the author of numerous books, including his latest, The Closing of the Liberal Mind. He's a stalwart advocate and defender of freedom, and it's my honor to welcome him today. Dr. Holmes, will you please join me? Thank you uh, very much, and good afternoon, everyone. And thank you for uh, joining us uh, for this program today. Uh, we are very pleased to welcome Mark Morgan, the Commissioner of U.S. Customs and Border Protection, uh, to the Heritage Foundation, of course, virtually, for what is uh, sure to be a very interesting program. Uh, everyone knows that our country is undergoing some challenging times. Uh, the scenes uh, on the news, especially what we are seeing in the streets of Portland and other cities, have been difficult to watch and difficult to understand. Uh, law enforcement and law and order are under unprecedented attack, physical, verbal, and political attack. In this difficult environment, Customs and Border Protection continues to fulfill many missions. It has supported Federal Protective Services in Portland in protecting the Hatfield Courthouse. Customs and Border Protection has continued its strides in securing the southwest border, including a continued upward trend of butter, a border uh, enforcement uh, actions. Additionally, they play a growing role in stopping fentanyl from entering the United States, seizing over 2,500 pounds in fiscal year 2019. Border wall progress continues with 265 miles completed and counting. Now, Heritage has written extensively about the need for law and order, and the role of the Department of Homeland Security in quelling the organized criminal activity in Portland specifically. In fact, last Thursday, Heritage released a report on a 14-step action plan for stopping targeted violence in America's cities. So we look forward today to hearing Commissioner Morgan's remarks on recent events and what is going on and how law enforcement is responding and how he sees the situation evolving. Just a note, after his remarks, there will be further conversation with Mike Howell and an opportunity for our audience to ask questions. 
So let me now introduce today's distinguished guest. Mr. Morgan is a longtime friend of Heritage, and we were thrilled to see him rejoin the administration in 2018. In his leadership position, he oversees and ensures the effective operations of Customs and Border Protection's mission to protect national security while promoting economic prosperity. Mr. Morgan directs Customs and Borders Protection's three core missions, counterterrorism, border security, and trade enforcement. He oversees the largest law enforcement agency and the second largest revenue collecting source in the federal government. Mr. Morgan has dedicated his career to law enforcement and his service spans many roles and duties as a police officer and in serving the Federal Bureau of Investigation, now Customs and Border Protection, and also one time in the Marines. So with all of that, I'd like to extend a warm welcome to Commissioner Morgan, who will now join us on camera. Thank you, Mike and Dr. Holmes. I, uh, I appreciate that warm welcome. I, I always appreciate another opportunity to uh, engage the Heritage Foundation. You know, so much has changed since the uh, last time we were together, probably the understatement of the year, given uh, what we're coping with right now in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic and, as you've discussed, the ongoing civil unrest, civil unrest in many of our major cities. But a couple of things have not changed. CBP's unwavering commitment to protect American people and the dedication of the men and women who carry out the vast, complex, and challenging mission of the CBP. As you mentioned, CBP is the nation's largest law enforcement organization with more than 60,000 federal personnel assigned to 53 countries around the globe with the responsibility of safeguarding 7,000 miles of border. Duties spanning across an ever-changing threat landscape impacting both national and economic security of this great nation. As you stated, safeguarding our borders, combating terrorism and transnational crime, and facilitating lawful trade and travel. And whether we're called upon to assist other local, state, and federal agencies responding to cities impacted by a devastated hurricane, or to restore the rule of law when cities become under siege by violence or criminal opportunists and anarchists, we will be there. As everyone here is clearly aware, CBP personnel have been deployed to Portland for several weeks to assist the Federal Protective Service with protecting federal facilities. Let me take a few minutes to address the, you know, the, the, the variety of false narratives and quite frankly, lies out there about what we are doing and why we're doing it. First, the violence in Portland was occurring weeks before we arrived. FPS was concerned they could not adequately protect the courthouse and so they asked for assistance. We agreed, just as we have in the past, many times, including under previous administrations, to do exactly the same thing we're doing in Portland. It was that simple. Although the mainstream media has tried to portray it otherwise. I would remind everyone that it, it, it uh, was a DHS law enforcement officer who was the first killed in the violence following George Floyd's tragic death. Protective Security Officer Patrick Underwood was gunned down while protecting the federal building during what was supposed to be a peaceful protest in Oakland, California. So let me go on with a couple of false narratives. First, we're not an occupying force, if some have labeled. That's simply outrageous. 
We are clearly there under Title 40, USC 1315, which mandates, and that's an important word, mandates, DHS with the responsibility to protect the almost 9,000 federal facilities in this country. Those who claim otherwise are intentionally pushing a false narrative. We're lawfully operating under FPS statutory authority and mandate to protect federal property. The only occupying force are the violent criminal opportunists and anarchists themselves who defy the rule of law as they continue their lawless siege. The rhetoric and hyperbole leveled at all officers and agents has been nothing less than insulting and furthers the reckless broad brush anti-law enforcement narrative. These misinformed and irresponsible statements does nothing to drive the needed dialogue in this country. During this time, our law enforcement officers and agents have been assaulted with mortar style commercial uh, um, grade fireworks, accelerants, IEDs, sledgehammers, concrete, slingshots. I-, I could go on and on. Officers have suffered chemical burns, bloody wounds, and attacks with blinding lasers, leaving some of our colleagues with significant and permanent eye damage. Relentless harassment, including the doxing of officers' personal information, has become commonplace. Fireworks have been repeatedly shot at the courthouse, and there have been nightly attempts to set the facility on fire with personnel inside. To be clear, these are not the actions of peaceful protesters. They are the actions of criminals. Yet pundits refuse to call them out for what they are. As the violence continued, the vast majority of our activity in Portland has actually been from a defensive posture, although it's been portrayed as the opposite in the media. We are not patrolling the streets of Portland. That's just a lie. If, if you're a violent criminal opportunist who has just tried to burn the courthouse to the ground or assault federal personnel, which has happened night after night, of course we're coming for you. You're a criminal. The false narratives continue to build, as as did the attack on law and order. Contrary to the reports, their uniforms are clearly marked, most of them wearing a minimum of six separate pieces of identification. Even though we've illustrated this again and again, the, the calls of, quote, secret police continued across all forms of media. The truth became irrelevant if it interfered with their agenda intentionally causing further division rather than unification. Each night, the protests have been taken over by violent criminal opportunists who coordinate, plan, and organize to attack the federal courthouse and federal personnel. Unfortunately, for over 60 days in Portland, FPS and other DHS law enforcement officers received almost no assistance from state and local law enforcement in Portland. Portland refused to allow their local police department to work with us, together as companion law enforcement partners to effectively address the violence. When we asked them how we could work together, their response was to blame us for the violence rather than the criminals and tell us to go home. Rather, they encouraged and made excuses for those who were carrying out the violent attacks. They went even further. As they removed us from their law enforcement unified command, and their city council passed a resolution forbidding the sharing of information with federal resources. This could have had deadly consequences. Look, I've been serving this country my entire adult life, 
And what I saw in Ford and Port unfold in Portland was the politicizing of the rule of law and putting politics above public safety. An agenda where law enforcement agencies are forbidden to work together and simultaneously vilify. If we had left, we would all would have watched as a courthouse was taken over and burned to the ground. Law and order would have succumbed to the violent lawlessness mob. Now finally, Oregon State Police and the Portland Police Bureau were allowed to join with DHS, following two months of violence and chaos to work together shoulder to shoulder to address the ongoing violence targeting the federal facilities. In fact, the first night they arrived, I tweeted out several pictures showing them literally working side by side. It should have happened on day one. However, another false narrative is that federal personnel left Portland. That's just absolutely false. Our personnel will remain in Portland until we are sure that the targeted violence directed at our federal facilities and our personnel no longer requires our presence. We're not there yet, so we remain in Portland. You know, the political hypocrisy continues in Portland, as does the violence. And it was just a, a couple of weeks ago, it was our federal presence being blamed for the violence. But as we shifted our resources away from the courthouse, so did the violence. The criminal opportunists have simply redirected their violent attacks on other parts of the cities uh, within Portland and local police. Now they have no choice but to face the reality of the consequences of abandoning law and order and making excuses for the criminals responsible for the violence erupting in their city. You know, the chief of the Portland Police Bureau said it best just a couple of days ago, enough is enough. Now look, as it was mentioned by Dr. Holmes, I, I can't deliver a speech without mentioning the border wall. Because the fact is, the border wall is another critical element of CBP's ability to protect the American people. With every mile of new border wall system that goes into the ground, the operational capacity of the United States Border Patrol significantly increases. Their ability to stem the flow of illegal migration, drugs, and criminals from being introduced in this country improves exponentially. The wall has also served as an effective tool to further reduce the introduction of COVID-19 into this great country. Along with the United States Army Corps of Engineers, we have built almost 275 miles of new border wall system. And we're confident, we've been saying this for a long time, even though there's been a lot of naysayers, we're confident we're gonna have 450 miles of new border wall system completed by the end of this year. Finally, as someone who has more than 30 years in law enforcement, I would be remiss to not mention the current broad brush approach being utilized to vilify the law enforcement profession. I believe as a nation and law enforcement profession, we are united. We are united in, in our belief in everyone's God-given constitutional right as an American citizen to lawfully and peacefully protest. We should be equally united as a nation that lawlessness and anarchy cannot and should not be tolerated, period. Injustices should not drive further injustices. We have seen peaceful protests hijacked time and time again by criminal opportunists across the country. We've seen the results of lawlessness, cities burning, businesses being looted, 
law enforcement officers being violently attacked and killed. We should be united in our collective outrage of what we are seeing. We should all be united as American citizens that we should feel safe wherever we call home. To be able to walk down our city sidewalks with our children free from violence and anarchy. To feel comfortable in the security of our own homes without being attacked by lawlessness. And what I'd like to say as well is that as we go forward, casting such broad accusations across an entire profession does nothing to solve the problem. It creates new ones. We must come together and have intellectually honest conversations resulting in actionable outcomes. We can acknowledge we need to get better while at the same time refrain from vilifying us all. These two beliefs are not mutually exclusive. We don't have to choose. It's a false narrative. And, and as we acknowledge we have work to do, we can be united in our collective belief that we don't have to make those two choices. And as we, as we continue to move forward, we, we can work together to serve and hold those accountable who violate that trust without attacking the men and women who sacrifice so much to protect every community in this country. We are a nation united under the Constitution and the rule of law. During challenging times like this, it is, it is more important than ever that we come together to support the men and women who fearlessly serve our, and, and protect the countries and the communities that they serve. In addition to that, we should facilitate discussion and continue to strive to improve, whether at the federal, state, or local, or tribal levels. I know that the brave men and women of CBP, whether they wear a badge or not, are dedicated professionals, and I could not be prouder of them. I know their character. I know what they stand for. I know what's in their hearts. I am confident the overwhelming majority of the American people feel the same way. President Trump has made it clear that the lawlessness we're seeing in Portland and the spike of violence in other cities will never be met with appeasement. No matter how many pundits and elected officials attempt to further a political agenda in its aftermath, this administration will always condemn such behavior and hold criminals accountable. As a nation, we cannot be intimidated by violent mobs or those looking to score cheap political points at the peril of the communities and citizens we serve. There is no greater time than this very moment that we have an administration that believes and fully understands the importance of law and order, that the rule of law matters, that the broad brushed vilification of law enforcement profession is not the answer, nor is radical and reckless proposals, for example, like defund the police. We must have administration that realizes the rule of law applies equally to the sovereign laws of this great country, to everyone why border security is national security, and that strong and effective border security is a must to ensure the public health and safety of every American citizen. This president gets it. Thank you. I'm looking forward to your questions. Commissioner, that was incredible. Makes me want to run a, through a brick wall for you guys and what you're doing. And on behalf of Heritage and all of our members, we thank you for everything you're doing every single day. Um, for my first question, I'd like to jump into the kind of last point you were making. It appears to me 
that everyone from the rioters to the so-called peaceful protesters to the mainstream media and radical politicians have one thing in common. They're all saying that law enforcement is a fundamentally racist institution. And it's that claim that is providing the moral framework for these rioters to go out and justify their actions. What responsibility do people pushing that false and slanderous claim have in all this? I think they have a tremendous responsibility, Mike. And look, I, I've been very clear about this, is that, again, I, I've been in law enforcement in almost three decades in this country. And I'm telling your listeners, American people right now, there is no systemic racism in law enforcement. I really encourage to, people to look up that word systemic racism. Do we have problems? Yes. Do we need, as I said, to have meaningful dialogue that, that really leads to meaningful action to get better, to continue to improve the, the dialogue and the trust that we have in the public we serve? Yes, those are all legitimate questions. Those are all legitimate things that we should be united to come together. But again, to paint the entire law enforcement profession with this broad brush because of the actions of a few is outrageous, it's reckless, it's wrong, and it just further divides us. And the people that are pushing that narrative, they have absolute responsibility in this. Absolutely. To follow up on that, you know, I, there's a lot being said about the rights of peaceful protesters to go out and express their grievances, which I think everyone agrees with. But I think there's a difference between going out and joining a riot where in the middle of the night, where we know for weeks on end, Violent rioters are aiming to hurt police officers and law enforcement, do reckless damage and burn. So what responsibility do people who may not be the ones, you know, throwing the rocks and, and pointing lasers have to not go out and join a riot or an unlawful assembly where this is all happening? Hey, Michael, first of all, I, I agree on that complete premise. I've been saying for a long time that those individuals, as you just described, that know night after night in Portland, for example, like clockwork, about 10 o'clock, the, these anarchists, these opportunists, these criminals, these thugs take over the protests every single night for the past 70 plus nights now. And so the people that continue to come, they know that. They have responsibility here. They are providing cover. You know, I've been a law enforcement guy, I've said for a very long time. And if you're participating in something and, and, and you're the driver, you know, of someone that, that that goes in and robs a bank, simply because you didn't go inside to rob the bank, you still have some culpability there. Now, people will, will challenge my analogy, but that's okay, because the point is valid, is that if you go there every single night where you know that criminals are planning and organizing to burn down a federal courthouse and seriously injure federal officers, and you go there every night, when you could simply go a block over and peacefully protest, you have some responsibility here too, unquestionably. Couldn't agree more. And I also feel that there should be responsibility for the media in covering these things fairly. I've been reliant on citizen journalists, Twitter, and watching YouTube streams into the middle of the night and early morning. Those, the content there is vastly different from what I see when I turn on cable news. You One know, of the if, if, if I can real quick, Mike, you're absolutely right. What, what we've seen it too again and again is they'll, they'll wait instead of the, the mainstream media, instead of showing these, these criminals, these, these anarchists that, that are, are assaulting the agents and trying to light the building on fire, They'll wait until the, 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 the building has been breached. They're trying to set it on fire and they'll wait to really start filming uh, until they'll see a response from the federal law enforcement and they'll take it from there. It, it's absolutely outrageous. A hundred percent. 
and I will add in watching these things live from people just streaming them, the vulgarity of these protests, the sheer savagery, the recklessness, it bears no comparison to these comparisons being made on uh, cable news where this is somehow similar to, you know, civil rights protests of the 60s or, you know, even heaven forbid the Boston Tea Party. I mean, I think your guys out there can see that firsthand, but it would be uh, it's a great benefit if the media could actually get out there and report this stuff accurately. Um, I like to ask you about a trend we're now seeing. We're seeing these violent rioters leave the cities and go out to suburbs. They're going to people's homes who they're specifically targeting. How does this change the nature of kind of what the administration's response should be? Hey, look, th- this, this is critically important. And that's why we've been saying from day one that, that this, is a, this is a critical moment in time. If we allow streets and cities to be taken over, Portland isn't the only area, Seattle, CHOP, if we allow the lawlessness, if we have no, absolutely no regard for the rule of law, it's not going to dissipate. It's going to get worse. We've seen monuments being torn down, and now we're seeing an expansion of this. This is something that, that the American citizens were, really should be paying attention because if they can start expanding to the suburbs and other areas, we're, we're, we're in a bad position, Mike. Look, it's just like the, the, the violence happening in, in Kansas City and Chicago, and I said it in my speech. Look, we, I, I believe regardless of what your political ideology is, we want to be safe in our home, in our cities, and our sidewalks. If you look, for example, what's going in, 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 gone in Chicago – a, a, a parent with a stroller, a baby is shot. Another parent in the safety of their home as bullets whiz through their front door. And we could go on and on. This has to stop. It's terrifying. And I can speak for myself when I say I'm getting out of the city of D.C. as fast as possible after almost a decade. I'm moving out to the suburbs. But now I'm not so sure that these rioters and activity won't follow folks there. So it's a scary time. Uh, one of the really big trends I see happening, contributing to a lot of the uh, problems in the country, is this new trend of far-left groups, namely George Soros, funding district attorneys who are radical, go in, refuse to enforce the law, and when they do enforce the law, they only enforce it against people trying to lawfully defend themselves. They're clearing out the jails, they're adding the, the language and vitriol to all this to give cover to the rioters. What it's completely incompatible with the defund the police movement because they're actually funding the police and taking over these organizations. So what happens when district attorneys we rely on join hand in hand with the rioters? What does that do for, for law and order? Yeah, but I can tell you, so I'm going to stay out of the, the, the political aspect and who's funding what, but what I can tell you as a career law enforcement guy for 30 years dedicated to this country, if you do not have real tangible, meaningful consequences for those that are con- uh, uh, absolutely committing a certain level of criminal activity, it's going to shock you. It's going to continue. We have these individuals. I'll give you an example. What, what if you're sitting at your house or what if you were at a restaurant in D.C. anywhere and somebody came up with a Molokov cocktail and threw it at your house to try to burn your house down, right, with your family inside or burn a restaurant down filled with patrons? Wouldn't we all collectively say, oh, that's horrible. That individual should absolutely go to jail for a very long time. But now, under the rubric of protest, night after night after night, for 70 nights, they can try to do just that to the federal courthouse with officers inside, but yet you had politicians defending that. 
it, it's it's outrageous. It's outrageous. And now, again, as I mentioned, the political hypocrisy is that now it's shifting to other areas in Portland. And now they're finally saying, oh, well, yeah, I guess that's a crime. It, it's just unbelievable. And so when we have these individuals, these district attorneys that are not pushing forward with meaningful consequences, it's just going to continue. Absolutely. Those rioters should be making license plates in a big house down the river instead of Molotov cocktails. And when we can't trust district attorneys to actually enforce the law on the local level, we're in, we're in big trouble. Mike, Mike, think uh, about this. Put in any other context, any other context outside of a protest. If, if you had an individual that picked up a, a rock or a brick and threw it at, at, at someone you know or threw it at you and it hit you in the head, that, that individual would be expected to be prosecuted as assault. But when it happens, you know, under the rubric of a, quote, peaceful protest, which is a lie, in, in a city like Portland, it, it, it goes un, unaddressed. I, I, again, the, the Portland Police Bureau were, were, was not allowed. The state police were not allowed to come and assist as the anarchy just happened every single night in Portland. It, it's outrageous. And the political leaders should be held accountable. Could not agree more. So let's take this a step further. Uh, as we all know, a lot of folks are calling to defund the police. We just got a question from one of our listeners, who's actually a former ICE and CBP officer, who said, now what happens when they come and defund ICE and CBP too? We already know that they're thinking of proposals to do that on the left. What does this world look like? Yeah, I, I tell you, I, I, this is outrageous. And like I said, it is reckless and it's irresponsible. Why we're talking about trying to have what we should be doing is coming together, having meaningful honest, intellectually honest discussions about how we can get better and how we can improve. What you have is this, this political narrative. That's all it is. After 30 years of doing this, there's no other conclusion. There's no other way to say it. This is purely politics to defund the police. Instead of talking about additional training, instead of talking about getting additional resources to make the uh, uh, agents and officers more effective at, at policing and helping the communities they serve, you're talking about taking money away. It's ridiculous, it's outrageous, and it makes no sense, and it's just purely a p political ideology trying to score political points. Absolutely, and when we talk about funding, one of the major things we see is billions of dollars now from corporate America and you know individuals going towards organizations associated with or part of the formal Black Lives Matter movement. Now, this is a scale of money that's really you know large uh i don't know what the controls will be but when we look at billions of dollars that could buy a lot of lasers a lot of pallets of bricks you know a lot of da's a lot of bail funds to get violent rioters out of jail are our law enforcement organizations fully funded and equipped to handle kind of this surge of absolute money pouring in to counter them now, when you're defunding them at the same time, you know, anarch activity is being more funded. Of course not. I'll give you a quick example. The lasers. I got to be honest. I really didn't know a lot about lasers prior to Portland and just how dangerous they were. And we realized that, for example, we didn't have the proper equipment to protect our agents and officers from the dangerous lasers. We had to go in and buy special equipment that, that could help de uh, uh, deflect the, the adverse effects of the lasers. That's just one example of, of, of many that are out there. It, it's it's just outrageous, Mike. Yeah, it's in watching it and the use of these lasers and other sort of tactics and techniques. It's it's scary to just watching the advancement of some of these you know weaponry and tactics that that we see. And so I hope that our our law enforcement organizations are able to adapt and and well resourced to to counter this because what we're seeing in terms of 
officers losing their vision, getting burned. It's 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 horrifying. And and Mike, what what I could add too is people really need to honestly look at what's happening, right? Set aside your political ideology. If you actually look at it from a neutral lens and look at the facts, these individuals in Portland, for example, they're using the same and people-like tactics in other cities. They have shields, they have goggles, they have the helmets. They're using social media to say how they can defeat certain law enforcement tactics. They use hand and arm signals. Uh, they're coming uh, with, and using specific tactics to try to get themselves closer so they can harm agents and officers and get closer to try to burn down the building that they're attacking. The list goes on and on and on. It, it, on. It's basically the same Antifa-like tactics, anarchist-like tactics that they're using and they're promulgating through social media and other means throughout multiple cities. Absolutely. And it looks nothing like the, the civil rights protests of the 1960s or the Boston Tea Party. This is a different animal. So I want to talk to you about something I found particularly uh, outrageous, and that was the charges of secret police being used in, in Portland. Now, I look at some of these videos and pictures. I see people in full you know, tactical gear with CBP insignia everywhere and obviously law enforcement, yet you had members of the U.S. Senate the other day, you know, questioning the, the deputy secretary about secret police. Now, I'll put aside how they could be secret police if you know they belong to the, or work for the deputy secretary, the cat's out of the bag there, not so big of a secret. But what do you make of these charges? It, it seems dying to pass the smell test of what's a reasonable concern. They, they're, they're so obviously CBP officers. What do you, what do you make of these kind of criticisms? Well, Mike, I tell you, this is something that, that everyone should pay attention to. And this is why uh, one of many examples, I draw the conclusion that this is really about politics over public safety. This is really trying to score political points rather than giving the American people the truth. It's funny, the same people on the Hill that were chastising the deputy secretary during the hearing, some of the same ones that sent out tweets uh, talking about the secret police. But yet, if you actually look at the picture that they, they put off, there's actually a patch on the agent that says United States Border Patrol. The irony there should not be lost on people. And look, right from the get-go, when, when this, this uh, term secret police and they weren't identified came out, we bent over backwards to go out everywhere we could to show the proof and illustrate that that was false. At, at any given time for CBP, there's six, six separate pieces of identification on their person. Big, bold police across the chest, arm patches on both shoulders, police on the back. Some have even more identification than that. We went, oh, we went overboard to illustrate that, yet people simply ignored it to include individuals on the Hill. They refused to listen because it didn't fit with their ideology and they wanted to continue to lie. And I'm still seeing articles and I'm still seeing people talk about secret police, no matter how many times we have proven that to be absolutely false. It's completely reckless. And not to mention the comparisons to, you know, Nazi yeah. German officers. It's a it's slander to, you know, the nth degree. It's just awful what they are. Because, I, I, you know, I, 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 I was... Uh, I was asked that a couple of weeks ago, and I really got passionate, really referred to us as Gestapo and stormtroopers. Could you imagine if anyone in this administration would use that type of terminology against anybody? Can you imagine how nuts the, 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 the mainstream media would go? But yet we have members of the Hill that use that language against the men and women of CBP. It's disgusting.
I, I share your outrage on that. And it, it goes without any criticism from the mainstream media. It's parroted and it's so easily debunked. I watched your press conference where you explaining the uniforms. It, it, it was a shame that, you know, media even needed this explained to them in such a way, but here, here we are. Now, last night, I'm sure you saw everything that went down in Chicago. Uh, for our viewers out there, uh, a police officer was shot at, cars were burned, looting on a mass scale was occurring. The president of the Heritage Foundation, Kay James, they refer to this as a rampage. What are you seeing out in Chicago and other cities outside Portland? I, I would categorize it the same. I think she's right. It's a rampage. And look, th- this this should be alarming to every American citizen in every city in this country. We cannot have that. We are a country based on the Constitution and the rule of law. If we do not maintain the rule of law and law in order, this is what you're going to see. Think about it if you're in, in, in Portland or Chicago or other cities where this is happening. You, you can't even go out at night. You, you can't go out on the streets of the city where you call home. It's, it's outrageous. And we should be taking every step we can to hold these criminals uh, uh, accountable. And look, this is what's important, Mike. It, it, we should be able to separate protesters from criminals. But it's not being done. Again, still in the mainstream media, they won't call these criminals out for who they are. They still want to call them protesters and say, oh, well, there's only a handful of unruly people. That's that's just just absolutely not true. It's a false narrative out there, and it really doesn't get us to the unified approach that we should to go in there strong, identify these people, arrest these people, and make sure that there's real meaningful consequences. Yeah, absolutely. And moreover, they're adding to the fuel of the fire by feeding the core concerns or, you know, complaints and justifications of these rioters that somehow, you know, our law enforcement, our brave law enforcement officers in America are these systemically racist murderers. Mike, real quick. I mean, that's exactly what you had in Portland, right? You actually had the mayor of Portland join the protesters after I think at that time it was actually after 60 nights of violence every single night. And he was actually there where violence was actually happening. And he was there encouraging and supporting the individuals that were there while the anarchists and criminal opportunists were actually uh, committing criminal acts. And, and it's not until they start doing something similar to, to other buildings and, and the police bureau within Portland that he finally says, oh, well, this is wrong. But to do the same exact thing for 45 nights to the federal building, federal officers, somehow that, that, that was our fault. Ridiculous. So if, if you're so willing, I'd like to shift uh, into topics a little bit. CBP, the work you guys have been doing and kind of the drug seizures is I think one of the most untold success stories of this administration. Uh, I was reading today before we hopped on, the American Medical Association says that fentanyl and opioid-related ODs are up with the lockdown. CBP is doing everything they can to stop that stuff from coming in borders and ports of entry. What can you tell us about that ongoing battle? It's a battle. And I can tell you, Mike, the cartels, uh, they haven't skipped a beat. You know, early on in the pandemic, as we were navigating that, we saw uh, uh, somewhat of a dip. But they changed their tactics, techniques, and procedures relatively quickly. Uh, they they reemerged, and actually, right now, uh, the seizures we had last month are, are significantly up from June, and the hard narcotics, uh, cocaine, heroin, meth, and fentanyl, and it's actually considerably uh, up from this time last year as well. 
you know, I think we all know, most of the people listening right now know about 68,000 Americans died last year uh, because of, of drug overdose. And I always say, if, if you have a meth overdose, it doesn't matter what town, city, or state you're in, uh, more likely than not, that meth came from the Southwest border. That's why I've always said every, every town, city, and state is a border town, city, and state. And that's sometimes lost on people. The things that happen at the Southwest border make it into this country and every major metropolitan city throughout this great nation. Uh, It's still an issue, and we're working hard to prevent the drugs from pouring in. Terrific. And to that extent, you know, how's this big, beautiful wall that's coming and helping out? I think a lot of people stop talking about the wall because a lot of people realize it works and it's working. So what can you tell us about how it's been such an assist for you guys? It, it, it does. And, and here, here's why I said in my speech that right now is a critical moment in time for the safety and security of this country, that that law and order, the rule of law matters, including at our borders. We, we have a, a candidate right now that has publicly stated if he's elected, he will stop building the wall. And I'm telling you that that will cost American lives. With each mile of wall system that's built along that multi-layer strategy of, of infrastructure, technology, and personnel, whenever we have that and the, the, the right amount, you see everything improve. You see drugs go down. You see illegal immigration go down. You see you know, criminals, rapists, pedophiles, and murderers and gang members go down in that area. You see assault against uh, agents go down. Everything improves. That's not hyperbole. That's facts, statistics. We have them. We can show it. And no matter how many times we say that, just like, you know, agents are wearing identification in Portland, the lies still go unabashed. It's, it's unbelievable to me, even though we have the data to show that. And as I said, we've got 275 miles built. A lot of people this time last year were saying it's never going to get done. And by the end of this year, 450 miles. And with every mile that goes in, Mike, this country is safer because of it. And here's a, a, another thing real quick, COVID-19. If you just think of this from a common sense behavior, if the wall system goes up and, and we have increases our operational capacity to interdict those individuals trying to illegally enter, it only makes sense then someone trying to illegally enter, we can stop them as well as then that prevents the further introduction of COVID-19 into this country. So of course the wall works against all threats, drugs, criminals, illegal immigration, and COVID-19. Absolutely. And I mean, just to to demonstrate how much walls work, you're watching out in Portland, they spent, the rioters spent half their time trying to take down that wall outside the the federal courthouse. So Uh, that's a great, that's a great point, Mike. That's a great point. All right, I want to be fair to some of these audience members who have submitted questions. I've been hogging a little bit. Can you talk from a law enforcement perspective, kind of the challenges, if you're an officer out in Portland or wherever else, in determining the difference between a peaceful protester and a rioter, if they're all intermixed in the same group? So it's tough. You know, I, I've, been a, I've been a cop. I, I, I was a police officer with the LAPD. Uh, that, that's tough. But this is where you need leadership to stand up and be united, right? If, if, if from, you know, on day two, on day two, if the leadership in Portland, as well as the state leadership, would have gotten together with the federal authorities there to really give out a unified message that said, hey, if you're a peaceful protester, go a block to the right. Look, you've got criminals that are taking over and hijacking not only your protests, but your very legitimate message. 
you don't want to be a part of that because the the, uh, the ironic strategy is now not only do you have this violence going on, but the legitimate protest and legitimate message has been hijacked. So that's really what we should have done together as leaders in any city. Tell the peaceful protesters, go somewhere else to get your message out. Do not provide cover and participate in the lawless activity. Um, but make no mistake, when that doesn't happen and you have legitimate protesters intermingled, and then at some point they actually start providing cover for the criminals, it exponentially makes law enforcement uh, uh, job more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. Another viewer asks about uh, any information you have on kind of the total arrest, the, the scope of it. Uh, are people, re after they're arrested, rejoining the protest? How does that whole like bail, these, these organizations that are paying for folks bail work? What can you tell us about people who are actually getting locked up and sent away? Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit all over the place. So, you know, if you're charged with a federal crime, uh, the, the chances that you're going to remain and not just be able to go back uh, and join the protester is, is, uh, is reduced. But again, it goes back to the question we talked about, about the local district attorneys. If they go there and they see these violent anarchists and criminals, and they, even if they make an arrest, a lot of these individuals, uh, I, I should say some of these individuals, are actually being released. They're bonding out, and the next day, they're right back in the protest. That's happening. That should not be happening. Are a lot of these folks local to the cities they're protesting in, or are you seeing them travel? Both. And that's that's what we mean when we start talking about Antifa-like tactics and procedures is, is this is very common, is that we have information intelligence that shows that some of these agitators, these violent opportunists actually come from out of state to actually incite the riot and incite the violence. Uh, it, it's, it's happening uh, in er everywhere where you're seeing this level, uh, high level of violence, we're, we're seeing that. Well, Mark, I think I got one more for you here to, to wrap it up. Um, I'm angry. A lot of our viewers are angry. Heritage members are angry. Everyone I talk to who sees what's going on is angry. What can we do to support you guys going out there and instilling law and order? It feels like we're just all sitting here and watching what's going on and helpless. How can we help you? Look, there's a couple of things, Mike. I appreciate that question. I know this is going to sound kind of corny and sappy, but if you see a law enforcement professional, Take a moment, thank them. Thank them for their courageous uh, uh, um, acts they do every single day. I'm telling you, I, I went to Portland and I did that. Uh, even though I'm the com acting commissioner, I stood in front of those men and women and I just said, thanks, thanks for what you do. And I gotta tell you, I got more positive feedback than just taking the time to say that than anything else that I said. So that's what I would suggest. The second thing is go to your leadership, both, both at the local, state and federal level, be vocal, tell them, object to the, the hyperbole that's being used, the vilification of law enforcement, the false choice that they're making you choose that you must say that there's systemic uh, racism in law enforcement to, to get to the point where we can get better. Say no, you, you, you denounce that false choice, while at the same time saying, yeah, we can get better. And, and I, I would say ultimately, um, votes count, votes count, be heard. Well, Commissioner, on behalf of a very grateful Heritage Foundation and a, a grateful silent majority and, and nation, thank you for everything you all are doing. Please pass that along to all of your, your officers. We're rooting for you. We want law and order, and you guys are out there delivering it, and we couldn't be more thankful. So we appreciate you joining us today and all you do.
Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it.